But I'd like us to turn back this morning for a little while to Titus chapter 3. We're taking a break this morning from our uh, series on Mark's Gospel. Just, uh, a little break, a little breather, and then we'll go back to it um, next Sunday, God willing. But I'd like to go back to this passage in Titus and um, look again at uh, the passage that I read at the very beginning of uh, the service. We'll go back to it in a moment. But it's very important for us that our Christianity, uh, it speaks into our culture. That we take the truth of God's Word, that we take the truth of Scripture, and we're able to apply that truth and live that truth in the culture that we are living in. And in order to do that, we need to know that culture. We need to know uh, the specific temptations the issues and the challenges that living in a specific culture brings. The culture we live in in Western Europe might be very different from Asia or from South America. Now, I'm not saying our Christianity is different, but how we apply our Christianity and the, the temptations and the struggles and the battles may be different wherever we are. Now, I'm not uh, in any way a cultural analyst. Uh, but I want to highlight one aspect today uh, that may be a challenge for us in our Christian lives. And I, I've probably mentioned this before. Uh, but I want to take one of the challenges of living in our culture and apply it to our Christian lives and then look at the core realities of what we believe because we're celebrating the Lord's Supper. I hope that you'll not think, oh my goodness, I've heard this before. I know this stuff. I want something deeper and more meaningful. Uh, I hope that you're able to find these core realities as realities that mold and shape and govern our discipleship. So, looking at one challenge that may be brought into our Christianity because of the culture we live in, and that is that our Christianity, it's easy for it to become consumer-centered. We live in a consumerist society uh, and a consumable society. And it's easy for us to therefore take the same attitudes that uh, we find govern the thinking of our society and apply them to our faith. Where we see our faith in Jesus and where we see the church, the body of believers, as simply added value. Uh, Something that is there to meet my needs. Something that is good for me. Something that will make me feel better. That's significant at that level. Now, all of these things have a relevance uh, about them. Um, But the danger is when they become the perspective that we have in our Christianity. Because the logical conclusion of thinking like that is that when it's not adding value... When Jesus isn't meeting my perceived needs, when it doesn't feel good for me, and when I don't feel better on a day-to-day basis, then I will ditch this. And I will be disappointed by it. And I will feel let down because of it. If we have a consumerist idea, if our idea of the gospel is that it's consumable, something we take, uh, something that uh, we can... uh, balance and value and consider um, a a separate 
reality to our beings, an addition to what we are, something we add on, rather than something that is fundamental to our very basis. A life, we could maybe summarize it, a life maybe, in parentheses and brackets, a life maybe to enjoy. You know, that consumerist uh, mantra, a life to enjoy, so a life uh, in brackets, maybe to enjoy. Now, there's elements of truth, and I hope I'll come back just to finish with a recognition of elements of truth within that. But if we have a consumer-based idea of Jesus and what he can do for us and what he can give to us and what he can offer to us at our level, on our basis, if that is what we consider Christ in the gospel to be, then it becomes rootless and vulnerable. Vulnerable to our feelings, vulnerable to our situations and our circumstances, and vulnerable to challenges from other more appealing realities. So a consumer-centered Christianity is opposite in many ways to what Jesus teaches and what Jesus speaks about and what Jesus tells us is significant for us. And the difference is that Christian, biblical Christianity is a cross-centered Christianity. It's not consumer-based, it's cross-centered. So if you're a consumerist, you have a life to maybe enjoy. But in, in Christ, with a cross-centered Christianity, you have a life to die for. That's the fundamental difference. You have a life to die for. Can you remember going back? We've looked at this again and again in our studies in Mark. In Mark chapter 8, and verse 34, 35. Therefore he called the crowd to him and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to lose his life, will, uh, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever wants to lose his life for me in the gospel will save it. That is not a consumerist mantra. That is not something that is appealing at a human level to us. Uh, Consumerism is me-centered. I am the arbiter of truth. God is in the dock. God needs to meet my standards, needs to give me what I need. And the cost of lordship, the cost of falling onto my knees, the cost of giving up in order to follow Jesus Christ is too much Uh, in consumerist thinking. But this is so significant because it speaks of both coming to Christ and also discipleship. And it's the focus of our communion. That's why the focus of the communion, uh, the sacrament that God has given us, is the death of Jesus Christ, is the cross, is the crucifixion. The sacrament is not about Jesus' birth, significant and important though it is. The sacrament isn't even about the resurrection. Utterly significant though that is, each Lord's Day we worship and recognize the significance of the resurrection. But the resurrection cannot happen without the death of Jesus. And the death of Jesus is the core, the cross-centered core of our faith. We know nothing among each other except Jesus and Jesus Christ crucified. Dying to self-rule, dying to spiritual consumerism, dying to an ego-centered view of Jesus and of me 
and of the world. And that's a massive change that we'll just unpack for a minute or two this morning. Titus chapter 3, if you'll turn with me to that, and to these words in verse 4 through to verse 7. Now at the end of that 4 to 7, Titus, uh, Paul speaking to Titus says, this is a trustworthy saying. This is a trustworthy saying. And that is believed by many people, many commentators, uh, a trustworthy saying was a saying that had become common in the churches, like a creed. This is an important statement. And it's, it's almost, it's delineated, it's given to us almost a bit like a creed, like the, the basic pillars of truth that was being passed down that people knew about in the church. And in the original, it's just one long sentence. So it's as if Paul takes a big breath and then speaks this great truth without a full stop and comes to the end. When the kindness and saviour of God, our saviour, appeared, he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our saviour. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, uh, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. This is a creed. This is a, a crucial creed. It's the basis for our faith. These truths share and tell us and uh, help us to understand a summary of what we believe. I think it would be good for us to memorize it. It wouldn't do me or, or you any harm. Indeed, it would do us good to memorize this because it gives us a framework and an understanding of what is important in our faith in a Christ-centered Christianity. What is the significant um, element, uh, what is the significant language element here? What's the significant image that we have in this creed, this short and succinct creed that we're given? It's the language of rescue. It's the language of rescue. That's the core of our creed. God, our Savior, He saved us. He saved us, we're told twice. This is a trustworthy saving. So we've got here at the core of this creed, this important creed, this reality, this language of rescue. So that today, in St. Columbus, as we profess our faith in Jesus Christ, and as we sit at the Lord's table, uh, we're a people who sit, we're a rescued people. That's what we are. We're a rescued people. We're a people who've been saved. And that is the significant reality of a cross-centered Christianity for us today, as opposed to a consumerist-based one. It's not life-enhancing. You don't sit at the Lord's table. You haven't become, and I haven't become a Christian, because it makes me just better than what I am. I, am, I have a certain amount of goodness. Jesus makes me better. It's not life-enhancing. It's not an add-on. It's not a vit- spiritual vitamin supplement. It's not like going sunbathing where we feel better. We're, we're still alive, but we go sunbathing with vitamin D's and we feel better. It's not like that. It's not adding value or, or, or health to us physically or at a spiritual level. It's not life enhancing. It's life giving. We see that difference that it's not something that we, we look at with a consumerist mentality, but rather it's life giving. We've been rescued. A self-centered life chooses sin and doesn't know God and doesn't love God. 
That's the reality that God reminds us of. We are a people who are broken under God's judgment, facing death, and the, the consequence of that is a, a relationally separation, ongoing and um, irreversible separation from God. So, you know, we have all this scare language of hell and the pictures of fire and darkness and uh, um, demons with horns so that people mock and, and, and laugh at that reality. But the biblical picture is, is relational. Uh, is a separation that we see now, although we uh, are deceived not to see it. But is a separation that death which is in itself, physical death is a separation of body and soul, is then an, an ongoing, irreversible separation from God. So that we need, you see, if we don't see that, and if we don't see ourselves as God sees us, rescue isn't something that we look for. You know, if we are comfortable, if we are content, if we are consumers of God, then rescue isn't an issue. Redemption isn't an issue. Concern about our spiritual condition is, is not an issue if we don't recognize what God has said, what God says about our condition, and what we need to receive from Him to uh, escape from that condition. It is life giving. If we make Christianity a, simply a life choice, we're doing a grave disservice to Jesus Christ to the cross and to the good news of the gospel and to our own condition. It's not life-enhancing, it's life-giving. But in the paradox of the gospel, it is also life-losing. It's life-giving because we receive life and forgiveness and hope from Jesus. But it's also life-losing because we are, we are getting rid of this self-lordship, this self-centeredness, this uh, uh, ego-centered uh, understanding of the world that we live in. And that, that is hugely significant for us. And as a Christian of nearly 30 years, I find that more of an issue today for me than it's ever been. A, an ego-centered view of my life and of, of my future. And the battle is to keep Christ in that place and his lordship. So we're losing our self-dependence and the sinful self-dependence that rejects God from that. So we stop in our lives. We work with the power of the Spirit to stop self-diagnosing our condition and also stop self-medicating. Oh yeah, I think I know what I need. I think I know how I can live. I know what I can change. I know what needs to, to be balanced in my life. I know what I need to get rid of. Self-medicating, you know, self it's such a dangerous thing to do physically, isn't it? And we're doing it all the time now with the internet. You know, we self-medicate all the time. We've got a cough and boom, the next thing, you know, we've got a plague. Because we've looked down at various things and we get it wrong. And we, we think that, that we, can, we don't need to train and we don't need doctors. We don't need medical assistance because we just go on the internet. Wikipedia. But we do the same spiritually, don't we? Self-medicate. 
Jesus, it's great what he's done, but we don't need him. I know what I need just to read. There's fine tuning that's needed. That's all. There's changes here and there. I can come to church now and again, and I can have a spiritual dimension that is consumerist, that we're, we're taking it, but we're doing it um, on our own terms. Self-medicating spiritually. But what we're reminded of here is that uh, the deception of sin is that in, in verse 3, one time we were foolish, disobedient, uh, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. Uh, we lived in malice and envy, hating, uh, hate, being hated and hating one another. Now that's not a, a, a declaration of, of the way we live all the time, that there's this kind of maelstrom of, of hatred going on. You know, there's a lot, a human level, there's a lot of love. There's a lot of human goodness towards one another. But spiritually, before God, we're enslaved by that self-centered reality. And also by the reality that we do hate others. We we looked at that last week with jealousy, didn't we? And jealousy, above all, and envy, is hating God. Hating God for not giving us a better life. For not putting us in a better place. For not giving us more gifts. We hate Him for that. But it's a recognition that we're losing the ugly, tarnished, brutal, self-centered perspective of our lives. This is a language of rescue. And who is it that rescues us? Hugely significant as we look through this. Again, it's not self-help. It is God, our Savior. He saved us. Memorize that. Memorize this uh, creed that takes us back to basics. That You're sitting today at the Lord's table as a member of St. Columbus or as a member in another congregation, professed faith, and you're coming and you're saying, God is my Savior. He saved me. And that it's, a, it's a humble submission and acknowledgement of our need of rescue by Jesus Christ. And it's, many people will look at that and say, this is a denial of human responsibility. People will say, we hate Christians because Christians don't take responsibility for their own condition. They just say they're helpless and they rely on Jesus. And it's, it's a kind of, uh, it's a denial of, of getting your own life right. And it's for weak-willed people and also people who are making excuses for their behavior. That's absolutely not what the Bible teaches. It doesn't teach that we're denying responsibility. It teaches that we are recognizing our need. There's a great difference. It's recognizing that we can't put our own spiritual lives and lives generally in order. We need Jesus Christ. If you have a tumor in your stomach, it is not a denial of your responsibility to ask or to seek a surgeon to operate on that, to remove that tumor. It's not that you're being... Irresponsible is it? Well, I could do that myself. No, of course not. It is. It is recognizing your need that you can't. You can't heal yourself. That you can't deal with that tumor. You need to be healed. You need someone to save you. And that is the Christian position that we recognize that Jesus is the one we need. And here we're, we're given these great descriptions of who God, our God, our Savior. Remember. God our Savior and Jesus is he is the one who is uh, uh, with kindness and with love 
and with mercy and with grace. When the kindness and love of God appeared, he saved us because of his mercy. And then further down, verse 7, having been justified by his grace. Jesus appeared. He appeared with these characteristics. What's your God like? Is he harsh? Is he oppressive? Well, he's God. Yes. He's a God who exposes our sin absolutely. He's a God who will return in judgment correct because he's just and holy. But he is a God who is loving, kind, merciful, and gracious. And the testimony you have as a believer at the Lord's table today is that that's the Lord that you know. He appeared. He showed himself. He came. He lived. He lived and uh, he was rejected. This God of the universe in the person of his son came and humanity couldn't look on him. They couldn't look on his perfection and his glory and they crucified him. But in God's purpose, that crucifixion becomes our redemption. As you know, the great transaction, he takes all our sin and our guilt before God and we receive when we trust in him his righteousness. He takes, the Bible gives us a great picture. You know, the, the, the Lord's table is about visual things, pictures, bread and wine. He gives a great visual picture, doesn't he? See, you take off old, dirty, stained clothing of our sin, and he gives us righteousness, his perfect clothing to cover us so that we are right with God. So it's never self-rescue. Never sit at the table saying, I'm good enough to be here. I've earned the right. It is a recognition that we have to die to that attitude and live to the living God. He rescues us. Uh, he does this. And he imparts to us his gift of grace. He says we are justified by his grace. That is the greatest four words in the Bible justified by his grace. You know the, the judge is who condemns or who sets free, doesn't he? We will all stand before him, condemned or set free. And he says to the believer, because of what Jesus has done, you're set free. You're justified. You know what justified means? It just means made right. It's a legal kind of term. You're made right. You're declared innocent. You know, a computer screen, you can justify the wording. It's a straight line on either, either side. And it's, it's been made straight, made right before God. This legal declaration of the judge says you're justified. Why? He doesn't look down the list and say, well, you've tried pretty hard here and you've done your best there. You're a minister for 30 years. By his that is what we stand and sit at the Lord's table on His grace. Nothing that we are asked to do but accept that and the consequences of that. At that level we recognize what He's done. And because of that, we have this huge and amazing uh, future hope so that we become heirs and having the hope of eternal life. So that for us, death... It's not so much a door. Uh, so it's more of a door than a cliff. 
It's a door into a fuller and better and more real experience with God. So he gives us the gift of his grace to cleanse us and to free us, but also the gift of his Holy Spirit. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously in Jesus Christ. He gives us his Godness. He gives us his Holy Spirit. He pours out himself. You know, that these late chapters of John's Gospels, all about that, that Jesus says, I'm going, I'm going back to heaven, I'm going via the cross, and then I'm going to be ascended, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to give you God back. I'm going to give you the third person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit, and he will be with you. I'm going to pour him out. I'm not just going to dribble him from heaven in a tiny little portion that you'll be gasping for, for air and for thirst for. I'll pour him out uh, as you recognize and see your need of him. There's so much more, isn't it, than just life enhancement, a life subset, a life improvement. It is spiritual life poured out by the Holy Spirit. That's why the Bible calls it rebirth. Rebirth. Bob was talking last night about that, how it's become a a kind of pejorative term in the States. Being born, you're not, whatever you are, you're not a born again Christian. Uh, and and he, his father, who wasn't a believer, was challenging him with that, with that truth. And it has become a pejorative term, partly I think because it's misunderstood. But the reality is a biblical term and that the truth is for us. That it's as if we are reborn. Because we are reborn. Because we're reborn from the inside out. We are a new creation. It's a new beginning. Now, I don't know what Nina Simone made by these words, but I can take them. It's a new dawn. It's a new day. It's a new life, and I'm feeling good. And the Christian can say that. And, can say, and therefore, the feeling, which sometimes we look for in a consumerist way, and God must give me this, and, and I need to feel good about it, It's not the basis for our faith. It's not why we believe. It's not what we're looking for. But when we come as those recognizing cross-centered Christianity and recognizing what we've been redeemed from and what we're given, it is a new dawn. It's a new day. It's a new life. And I am feeling good. And we shouldn't be ashamed of that. Even in all the battles and in the struggles that we face because Jesus Christ is with us and he has received, we have received from him. So this is a trustworthy saying. This trustworthy saying is, uh, I believe, a Christian creed, an early Christian creed. It's a life changer. If we will allow it to be, it is a life changer. We don't look at our Christianity today. I really hope we don't. And we battle, I, I certainly battle against it. I don't know if you do. That we battle against a, an understanding of God and grace that is consumerist. We're not, we're not new consumers. We're new creations. That is a huge difference. As consumers, we're our old self with all our grumbles and moans and complaints and bitterness against God and hatred against one another and pride and envy and jealousy. We're not new consumers. We're new creations. It's something big to sit at the Lord's table. It's something really big to confess that I need Jesus Christ and I've taken Jesus Christ. It's glorious. 
and this gospel, uh, sorry, this, this letter, this short letter, is with this creed kind of in the middle of it, is a letter that takes that creed and uh, recognizes what it means. And it means, you know, that we, we, we live to do good for Jesus Christ. Uh, there are consequences in the church, as Titus speaks about, in the home, as, Titus, as Paul speaks to Titus about, and in the world. So I'm, I'm not giving this kind of spiritual creed. And th- you might be thinking, well, this is, you know, I'm, I'm struggling with exams this week, or I've got a, a battling in my marriage this week, uh, or I'm struggling uh, to believe this week. It's not to say we take these and we just isolate ourselves from these things and and pretend they don't happen. But this creed, this recognition of being new creations impinges on all of these things and our attitudes to them and a recognition of the help of God we have in these battles which are temporary for us. So the, the Lord's table is for our encouragement to focus on Jesus, what he's provided and given to us, the rescue that is ours, and uh, uh, the blessing of uh, what he has done on our behalf is overwhelming grace so that we can sit at the Lord's table and know that we are justified made right with God not because of anything we've done but because of Jesus Christ let's pray Lord God help us we pray today to understand your gospel to understand this great uh, tradition, this great truth, this great deposit, uh, this great uh, creed that focuses in our lives who we are and gives us a, a wonderful identity in Christ, a new, a new creation from the inside out. Yes, being molded. Yes, often we feel like jars of clay with this precious message, this precious truth, but new nonetheless and being renewed and worth enthusing about, worth encouraging one another over and worth uh, thinking about at the, at, the, at the table together. We thank you for every Christian here and for the testimony of Jesus having justified them by his grace. We thank you for Roy and um, uh, we pray you'd bless him in his life and that you would watch over him uh, where he moves on from here. Uh, as he moves on to study elsewhere and we look forward to his baptism with us in the next few uh, uh, days and we pray for Jackie that you bless her in her testimony and uh, in her coming to faith and growing in faith and, and committing to the congregational life in this way and we pray for each of us that we would know blessing today as we sit at the Lord's table and for any who might not be believers today we pray that they would be challenged that they would consider uh, the message and consider this uh, coming to faith and trust in Jesus Christ and all that it means. So help us, God, we pray, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.